Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. The telltale signs of an overheating property market. Is Britain heading into bubble territory? Fees and charges for investment advice. Is the industry telling us the truth about them? And how best to put your money to work in overseas markets without losing your shirt? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm James Pickford, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with my colleagues Kate Allen. Hello. And Emma Dunkley. Hello. Plus a special studio guest, Alan Miller of SCM Private. Hello. Earlier this week, Britain's financial regulator hit out at financial services companies that failed to make clear to their customers exactly how much it will cost them to invest in their products. The Financial Conduct Authority highlighted what appears to be a widespread problem. When it surveyed banks, wealth managers and other advisors, it found that a striking 73% were being unclear with their clients over charges in spite of new rules coming into force in 2012, which were designed to make fees more obvious for investors. A majority of firms failed to give information up front on charges for advice, and most did not make it clear to investors that fees might fluctuate. The FCA singled out wealth managers and private banks as the industry's worst offenders. What's more, it warned that two unnamed companies, one a wealth manager, the other an advisor, were likely to face further action from its enforcement division over what it called their egregious failings. So why does it appear so hard for the industry to be clear and honest with its clients over the cost of advice? I'm joined now by Alan Miller, one of the founders of the True and Fair campaign for more transparency and chief investment officer of SCM Private, a wealth manager. Alan, After all the scandals over mis-selling, it appears city firms are still failing to sell their products properly and transparently to consumers. Where do you think the problem lies? Are these advisors simply trying to pull the wool over their customers' eyes? Or is there a problem with the complexity of fee structures? I think there is a problem with the complexity of uh, fee structures. If you look at the FCA rules on what advisors uh, were meant to do in terms of transparency of charges... It's it's very easy. It's it's plain vanilla in the FCA rules, and it's quite astonishing that seventy three percent, according to the FCA, have not followed the rules. 
And the problem is that even if they had followed the rules, they need to add up not just their costs in a transparent, understandable way, but all the other costs. So even if they were following the FCA rules, it would still be meaningless to the consumer because the consumer has to add their costs to all the other layers of cost to actually have a proper understanding of how much it is they're paying from the beginning to end. What kind of costs are you talking about? The consumer thinks, unfortunately, wrongly, that the amount they're paying is that annual management charge. And the whole industry has been allowed by the regulator to put in totally misleading adverts with the emphasis on the annual management charge. So the consumer thinks that's the fee. So whereas it used to be 1.5% annual management charge including other costs, it's now 0.75. So the consumer thinks, that's brilliant, I've saved half the fee. But it turns out they haven't saved half the fee. In fact, the total costs we've worked out in a recent report have actually gone up by nearly a third. So your annual management charge, on top of that, the fund will have other custody and administration charges. You're probably buying it through, or your advisor is putting it on a platform, that's charging extra charges, some of them in pounds, some of them percentages, some of them up front, some of them ongoing. You might be putting it into a what's called a product wrapper, that's got other charges, and you might be been giving advice, and that advice might be a number of hours, it might be a percentage, it might be initial, it might be ongoing. So it's no wonder that nobody, even the advisors, who are meant a task with the job of giving best advice, it's a bit like a surveyor coming around to your house and he, and he doesn't actually look at all the floors of the house. So why haven't the regulatory measures which were put in place in 2012, which were designed to solve this problem, why haven't they had the desired effect? The measures actually increased the problem. All our research year after year has shown one thing. Typically 70 to 80% of the British public want to have it in one number. The FSA which was the predecessors of the current FCA, thought that transparency meant having lots of different numbers. But actually, that's confused things even more. So this so-called transparency, which we've now found out that people don't even follow anyway, is about as opaque as you can get. And we see countless wealth managers, countless advisors. The advisors were often uh, misled in thinking that the ongoing charge is the total charge. We have wealth managers who've privately said to us they don't understand their own charges, so what hope have the clients got? So what's the solution? Is it simply a matter of properly enforcing the current rules, or, or do those rules need further reform? They don't need reforming, they need revolutionising, and the only way to revolutionise it is to have one number of all the layers in pounds and pence. And I'm glad to say that we've uh, worked hard uh, within Europe, and within Europe, the rules are coming. They're coming to the UK. They'll be enforced by uh, the beginning of 2017, so that all firms will have to provide all the costs in one number the rules say aggregated, and you as a customer can demand annually that number and have it itemised. So the time is running out for the industry to carry on pulling the wool over the consumer's eyes. What advice do you have for listeners? Um, if, you, if you are buying a financial product or taking advice, how can you ensure that you're, you're getting honest treatment on fees? Well, I think the, the simplest solution, actually, you can go onto a, a website, the True and Fair campaign, and there's a template on there. And it's a template with all the different layers, all the different fees, and simply send it off to your platform or your wealth manager or advisor, whoever it is, ask them to complete it. 
if they do not complete it because they say either they can't do it or they won't do it, then if, if they can't have the honesty to treat you with respect, you should not deal with them, full stop. And why not send a copy of their response to the FCA so the FCA can understand the only solution is one number? Alan Miller, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. FT Money is available on both Saturday and Sunday as part of the Weekend FT. You can also read on tablets, Kindles and online at ft.com slash money. Still to come on the show, should you be looking to invest in global equities? And if so, how? But first, one of Britain's favourite talking points, the property market. Figures released today by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors give some indication of why house prices are on everyone's lips these days. In its quarterly questioning of surveyors, the institution found that average prices, which have risen every month for the past 11 months, are set to continue going up for the next five years as the economy recovers. The figures follow a string of data from the government and estate agents pointing in the same direction. The Nationwide Building Society, for instance, said London prices rose by 18% in the past year and nearly 10% nationally. In this week's cover story, FT Money has uncovered five less conventional indicators of a rampant housing market, from the return of Spanish timeshares to property market derivatives and property-related IPOs. As some of these trends reappear for the first time since the financial crisis, we ask whether Britain's housing market is returning to health or edging closer to an unsustainable bubble. I'm joined now by Kate Allen, the FT's property correspondent. Kate, house prices seem to be rising relentlessly, not just in London and the southeast, but across the whole country. You've been taking the temperature of the market. Are there other signs you've found that it might be overheating? Well, one classic sign that everybody's feeling good about property is holiday homes. People want to spend money on acquiring properties abroad, going abroad. They think that there's money to be made in other people wanting to go abroad. So that's a good sign that the market's on the rise again. Another factor is complicated financial products. Generally, when people want to get more exposure to the housing market, these types of products start to come back into the market. As the economy's recovered, we've also seen a rise in the number of property-related IPOs. What's been happening and, and what does it say about the mood in the market? Yes, the most um, high-profile IPO of the past year or so is Foxton's, which IPO'd late last year. Everybody knows the Foxton's brand and investors clearly were hungry for it. It's performed very well, despite being what people thought was very fully priced when it was issued. Other IPOs which have taken place have been Crest Nicholson and Countrywide. And a very high-profile IPO that's probably going to take place in the next few months is Zoopla, the online property search website, which is aiming to take on Rightmove, currently the biggest property website um, whose shares have also been doing very well in recent months. Some people lay part of the blame for Britain's housing obsession at the door of the media with an endless diet of property programmes and headlines warning of runaway prices. Do you think that's fair? To some degree, yes. Property is definitely a sentiment-driven industry. How people feel about their house price is the most important thing in driving up that house price. And it has often been joked by property professionals that you could measure the state of the market by the Sarah Beanie Index, which is, you know, the number of times that Sarah Beanie appears on television gives you a good indication of heat in the market. We've also seen a sharp rise in the past two years in the number of high loan-to-value mortgages offered uh, to potential house buyers. 
Is there a danger that we could return once again to dangerous levels of overborrowing? Well, the government has put in certain steps to restrain high loan-to-value lending and other types of risky lending in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Things like the mortgage market review, large parts of which come into force later this month, should have an effect and help to mitigate the risks that lenders take in a rising market. However, one factor which we have started to see is that term lengths, i.e. the length of time which a lender lends you money for on your mortgage, have started to lengthen because that is a way in which they can lend you more money without taking greater risks with things like higher loan to value. Are there any other tools that the authorities, um, in particular the Financial Policy Committee of the Bank of England, have at their disposal uh, to control the situation if it gets out of hand? And generally, how worried should we be? Well, there are two main tools that could be used. The first is an interest rate rise. Everybody's talking about the possibility of a rate rise at the moment. When might it come? How rapidly would rates rise? Rapid rate rises would cause severe problems for large numbers of homeowners on variable rate mortgages, particularly across London and the southeast of England. For that reason, it's very hard to see politically how that would be how it would be possible for rates to rise. So I think we can probably consider that that's not a great tool in the box. The other tool is the FPC's ability to increase the amount of capital being held against mortgage lending. If they decide that mortgage lending is really getting a bit silly again, they could require lenders to hold more capital against mortgage lending, um, deeming it to be a riskier activity, which would put the brakes on mortgage lending and slow down lenders' appetite to lend on new mortgages. They could also place restrictions on various different types of ratios, such as loan-to-value, loan-to-income, debt-to-income, and so on. Beyond that, though, it's hard to see what other tools they might have in the box. And for that reason alone, there is certainly some cause for concern. Kate, thank you very much. That was Kate Allen, the FT's property correspondent. You can read a lot more about the warning signs that we've been talking about in this weekend's FT Money cover feature. We'd also love to know what you think. You can leave comments on articles on our website at ft.com slash money, or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. More investors are turning to overseas equities to get exposure to a broader range of sectors and companies. The recent flurry of technology IPOs in the US has shown how investors might turn to this market to take advantage of growth in the tech sector. But there's another reason why UK investors are looking further afield for returns. Record low interest rates in the UK. At the same time, more markets, such as China, are opening their gates to foreign investment. I'm joined now by Emma Dunkley, our reporter for FT Money. Emma, why would investors look to get exposure to international equities? What can they offer that the UK market can't? First of all, it's worth noting that a lot of investors have a home bias and tend to invest in stocks that they're familiar with, household names. But increasingly, they're noticing that there are greater opportunities abroad in certain sectors that they can't get hold of in the UK. So, for example, a lot of UK companies might have been bought by overseas companies and therefore sector exposure has been reduced in the UK. So the US is a big market for technology stocks, for example. Anyone looking to get hold of Apple or Google could turn there. Other countries, such as Canada, have a lot of companies in the way of resources and commodities. So in that regard, investors can turn abroad to get hold of certain sector exposures that they wouldn't otherwise get if they just stayed in the home market. On top of this, 
more investors are realising that they shouldn't have a concentrated portfolio exposure to just one country's set of stocks. So a lot are looking to diversify. So if anything should happen to the UK economy, which might generally have knock-on effects for UK firms, they are less impacted by this. And on top of this, there are also cost advantages to be had from looking for overseas stocks. So, for example, the emerging markets have recently had a lot of outflows. A lot of the world-class companies that are based there might actually be looking quite cheap at the moment. So it's offering a good opportunity for UK investors to go and buy overseas companies. And practically speaking, how would you go about putting your money into foreign markets? Perhaps your first option should be considering a fund run by an expert manager who has the experience of selecting certain stocks. You can go for an actively managed fund or you can also go for an exchange traded fund or a passive tracker. These follow indices, literally up or down. So if you don't feel you have the expertise to pick a stock yourself or analyse a company, going for a manager is a great idea, although you will find you're paying a tiny bit more in terms of the total expense ratios and the annual charges to have this manager's expertise. Now, if you invest abroad, obviously for most British investors, you know less about the companies and uh, funds into which you're investing. What are the risks involved? Well, one of the risks, as you've just said, is that there is less information on some of these overseas companies. While some of the bigger, more developed markets, such as the US and Europe, have a lot of research on them available on the broker sites that you might transact through. Some of the lesser-known companies in developing markets, such as the emerging countries, China, for example, there's less research available or less arguably reliable information on these companies, which means they could surprise on the downside. At the same time, you also have foreign exchange risk to take into account. So when you buy these overseas stocks, you'll buy them in their local currency, but when it gets converted back to sterling, the value could be lower. You also have to pay uh, an FX charge as well in the form of a spread. And it's also worth noting that there might be socio-political risks. For example, looking at Russia, the recent turmoil over the Ukraine, about $60 billion were wiped off of the stock market in about three days. You've also got to take into account that some of these markets have very concentrated exposure to certain companies and sectors. If you do decide to invest in individual company shares, can they too be wrapped in an ISA? Yes, so anyone looking to hold international shares can have them in a trading account or an ISA or a SIP and you can go via your broker for this. A lot of the brokers will offer international shares in US, Europe and developed markets and they can transact this online. For the other emerging markets, some of the brokers might have limited access so they might have to trade via a phone call instead of doing it online and this could end up costing you more. Emma, thank you very much. We'd love to hear your views on overseas investing. Have you found the rewards exceeded the risks? What was your experience? You can reach us via Twitter. The handle is ftmoney, online at ft.com slash money, or via email. The address, once again, is money at ft.com. Don't forget that FT Money is out this weekend, featuring more on inheritance tax, investment trusts, the government's move on annuities, and lots more. We have a feature on how Mark Neal, founder of Mountain Warehouse, made his first million, and Terry Smith explains why investing in emerging markets is a risky proposition. We'll be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from Kate, Emma, and our special studio guest, Alan Miller. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.